what we want to do tonight is we want to kick off a, it's, it's going to be a series all month, and we'll have a title up there for you in just a moment. Um, the title of the message is called A House Not Built on Sand. So we live in a culture right now where um, it's like what should be black and white is not, right? It's just, it's like a rainbow. It's a spectrum of however you feel. And um, even though that's not the direction I'm going, what we want to talk about for the next month is we want to talk about the core of what our heart is at this church. What is the core? Our core values and uh, I'm going to keep it real with you, okay? So uh, this church is uh, coming up on a couple years, and um, we're still new. And I've been part of churches, been on staff at churches. And usually communication as far as, like, uh, language stays pretty fluid for the first 10 years. Um, I'm good friends with Pastor Gio at Abide, and they're seven, eight years in. They just changed language. And the reason I'm saying this is because I'm going to cover four core values and I'm going to give you four words, but we might change, not the, not the core value, but just how we say it. Does that make sense? All right, but the principle's going to stay the same. All right, so the principle's going to stay the same. So let's open up with, uh, isn't that a cool graphic? That's Emmanuel. Uh-huh, see, his future wife just said that. <laughs> All right, Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. It says, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them, be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was the fall. So this is probably the greatest teaching in all the Bible. And what I mean by that is that this is the end of a context of Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. Everyone's probably familiar with this if you've read a little bit of the Gospels. Is This is the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus opens up in Matthew chapter 5, and he's talking about core values. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. He goes on to say, blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they shall see God. And he gives these very important core values values. Then he jumps over to chapter 6. He's still talking, and he starts talking about practically how you live these out. He starts talking about prayer, fasting, being generous, and talking about how we live this out before God and before people. And then he begins to wrap it up, and he wraps it up with this picture that if we're actually not doing these things, our house is really not built on solid rock. If we're not doing it, if we're listening to things and we're even reading the Bible, but we're not actually functioning inside of the principle itself, then what's happening is that the house that we're building, our house as an individual, can begin to shift or move. Let, let, let's be real practical for a moment. Everybody, when you hear bad news, you can feel like your house is on sand, Right? Say it's really bad news. It doesn't mean that your house is on sand, but you can feel that way. Now, let's look at the opposite. If I will choose to act on the core values inside of the kingdom of God, when I hear things, I won't feel that way all the time. Don't mean that the news is like, oh. But you can begin to tell on the inside how solid that rock is that you're sitting on. Because you're responding to the core that's in the word of God. And you can begin to feel inside of yourself. You can determine that don't move me that much anymore. That still moves me a little bit. And it doesn't mean that it's a knock and Jesus don't even get upset. It just begins to let me know i got to act a little bit more. Do you hear what I'm saying? On the core of what's inside of God's heart. Because all of us can hear bad news and be like shaking a little bit. And it's just an indicator. Got to build. Got to act. Is that good? 
No matter what Jesus heard, listen to me, no matter what he heard, he was solid. He would even go as far as to say that the enemy of this world has no place or no part with me. I'm going to say it another way. No matter what that rascal says, no matter what the lies are, I'm not shaken. And you might say, yeah, but that's Jesus. But he said, if you believe, you will do the works that I do and greater works than these. It's not just the miracles. It's how he lived before God and before man. You can live a life to where nothing moves you on this earth except him. You know what that's called? That's called fun. Because you're always going to hear bad news. That's called joy. Because there's always going to be something going on. You're going to flip the news on. Something bad's going to happen. But could you imagine if you are a person of such stability that you're constant? Now, what happens in a place like that is there's a shadow over you and your shadow begins to heal people. And you ain't even said nothing. It's just how you carry yourself. You carry yourself in such a place of consistency and constantness that even when you don't say nothing, there's something overshadowing you that's impacting everybody around you. That's practical salt and practical light. Because we all hear bad stuff. Is that good? Don't you want that? Who wants to live on a roller coaster their whole life? Could you imagine? Has anybody ever rode on a roller coaster? Yeah, I mean, at some point you're like, man, stop the stupid roller coaster. You know, you'd get sick, wouldn't you? But in our life like that sometimes, you're like, no, you, you, you know what I mean? It would be terrible. That would be a terrible life. So for the next month, we want to begin to define. We've had on our website like six, eight, I don't even know how many it is. We haven't talked about it enough. And what we want to begin to do is we want to talk about core, who we are. Talk about it. Continue to talk about it till you're sick of hearing it. And then, then that's when we begin to get it. Is that okay? That's when we all begin to get it. That's when it begins to take root, germinate, and all of a sudden, it's flowering everywhere. So we're going to talk about it for a month. There's going to be four. There could be a lot more, but we're just going to stick with four. And then once a quarter, we're always going to talk about it. As we move places, because we can't be sticking stuff up all over the walls here, when we move somewhere and we call COG home, we're going to have it everywhere. The T-shirts, the connection cards, you name it. You know, stickers. Now, if y'all drive crazy, y'all don't put one of them COG stickers on the car, okay? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's you. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah, that's Christian. Christian, don't put no COG sticker on your truck, man. People riding by telling him, you're number one. <laughs> that's me. My wife said, you shouldn't drive like that. You're a pastor. Like, that's why I should drive like that. I'm leading by example. And she's like, yeah, I know. In front of everybody. Y'all know like the lane, you know what I mean? Like the, the merging lane. Like, my wife will get, like, right over. I go all the way to the front where there's nothing left. And she says, you're not supposed to do that. I'm like, why not? It merges all the way to the front. And that's when I get in the front. <laughs> Is that how y'all drive? <laughs> I'm doing better, baby. I'm doing better. I don't talk as much in the car. I used to talk to people in the car. She used to drive her nuts. She'd just be like. So if you're married, you, you kind of know what that means. It's like a holy hush. So what core values do for a church or for an organization, don't have to be a church, is it begins to create a culture. <clears throat> so if you're going to a restaurant, and there's just things about the restaurant you like, you know, it could be the the way it looks, the way it smells. Um, obviously, it could be the staff, but even intangibles. Do you see what I'm saying? Something about the experience that you just really like and you want to go back, right? Sometimes the food can be just so-so, but there can be so many other things inside of the atmosphere 
that it makes you want to come back. And obviously, if it's a restaurant, you want it to have good food. But organizations, and even more so a church, should generate this. There should be tangibles and intangibles that happen. All right, this is a culture. A culture is defined by core values. All right, so some of it's going to be people can tell just by, you know, you get loved on in the lobby, et cetera. Some of it's going to be something they just can't put their finger on because all of us is moving in a direction and there's something in the air. Does that make sense? So what I'm saying is it's going to take all of us. It's not going to be a message that I preach. Messages, it's going to take all of us doing Matthew 7, doing the word, living the word out, and there's going to be something tangible and intangible that people say, I want what they got. Does that make sense? All right. So y'all, everybody been to Publix, right? Everybody been to Publix? I know it costs a little bit more, all right, at Publix, because it does. I always go to get the BOGOs. My wife goes and gets, like, all the stuff that we have to have, and then I go get all the fun stuff. So the BOGOs come out on Thursdays, in case you don't know that. All right, the new BOGOs come out on Thursday. <laughs> and I always stop my Publix, and she's like, you better quit buying this, this, and this. We got too much. But at Publix, if you don't know something, where something's at, what do they do? Do you all know? They take you there. If dude's stocking, he gets up and he takes you to where it's at. That's a culture. Now, if you're at Walmart, it's going to be cheaper at Walmart, right? They get the rollback. It's going to be cheaper. And they say, hey, bro, where's this at? Man, I don't know. Go find it. <laughs> Somewhere over there, aisle 13 or something. I don't know. Go look for it. <laughs> That's what you get in Walmart. It's all good, but the price is cheaper, right? <laughs> I'm not kicking Walmart, all right? I go to Walmart, too. All right? That's where I go to pray for people. <laughs> That's where I go to evangelize and pray for people. <laughs> Be stalking people at Walmart. <laughs> Chick-fil-A, all right? Chick-fil-A's got another culture where what do they say when they serve you your food? See, y'all know. It's my pleasure. All right? So there's a culture there that you realize when people will go there. I mean, Chick-fil-A's, I mean, it, it, chicken's okay. You know, but you go there mainly over. <laughs> Who said that? <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> See, that's what happens when you're like in your early 20s. You know what I mean? You think Chick-fil-A is like filet mignon. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's okay. But you go back there, you know, for multiple reasons, all right? I go there because they got a playground and my kids can play, you know what I mean? So I can just think around on my phone for a minute and they can play. But the purpose of you going to a place like that is culture. I worked at this place called Nucor in the marketplace. And Nucor is the biggest steel company in America. Um, I was the safety and health director for this place. And we had a culture of safety. Safety was first. In every one of the, the meetings, I had to go first. I always had to speak first. It was a really, really big deal. And we made sure that we're going to spend a whole lot of money on safety because we're going to make sure that people are safe inside of that culture. Another thing that they did was they didn't call nobody an employee. They called everybody a teammate. Didn't matter if you was the GM. You didn't get no special parking spaces. So they had a great culture, and people loved to work there. They paid you a whole lot of money. But there was a great culture at that place. Are y'all tracking with me? So it's so important that we build together. We build together, and inside of building together, there's going to be things that we can't put our finger on. I just love you guys. And the good thing is, is that it draws them in because Jesus is the answer to every person's situation in life. Whether if they're saved, whether they've walked away from the Lord, whether they've got a broken marriage, a broken body, it doesn't matter what it is, but Jesus is the answer. And guess what? You're called the body of Christ. You become a door. And you're very important to Jesus and the kingdom of God. Does that make sense? So that's here at the church, but it's also when we're not here. Are you tracking with me? So when we're not here as well, because the culture, what do we do? We become culture everywhere we go. It's not just here, right? Right? We're not just Christian here, right? <laughs> yeah. Let them out the zoo. They're in the jungle now. Yeah. So um, I'm a little biased to this because I think that uh, 
these core values are the ones that Jesus operated in most. These are city of God's core values. So I think that these are the ones that Jesus operated in most. <clears throat> and it's love, it's honor, it's humility, and it's generosity. Love, honor, humility, and generosity. These four things. And they're very, very pervasive. So these are four core principles inside the kingdom of God. You can see these in the Beatitudes. You can see this in the heart and the life of Jesus as he walked. And um, like I said, when I was talking a minute ago about just language, we're just using those four words. Those are four biblical words. We could just stick with those. But those words might evolve. It might be a phrase. Instead of using the word love, we might have a phrase. Does that make sense? So I'm not married to that word, but I'm married to the principle, the core. So today we're going to talk about love. So what core values do as far as an organization, what core values do for you as an individual, for your personal life with you and Jesus and your personal life with your spouse, your, your life with your kids, um, uh, your job, everything. They do three things. I'm sure they do more, but I'm going to say three. One of it is foundation, like what we said a minute ago. Building a house not on sand but on a rock. When you have core values solidified inside of you and you live by them, it makes you as an individual rock solid. All right? Something very, very attractive about this. It's very attractive. It's not about just how someone looks. There's an attraction to this core. All right? Do you know scripture says in Isaiah 53 that Jesus was not beautiful to behold? That's what scripture says. I don't know if the pictures are accurate or whatever, but, you know, it isn't about that. It is about the beauty of who you are as an individual. And when you accept Jesus in your heart as your Lord and Savior, listen to me. Just to kind of touch on love, and we're going to talk about it, you don't have to try to love. You are love. You actually are love. God is love, and God says, I made you like me in my image and likeness, therefore you are. All right? And there's just a, there's a beauty about it. <clears throat> the second thing is really what we're talking about now is identity. Core values gives you as an individual, your family, this church and organization, it gives that place an identity. This is our identity. This is who we are. We are love. Amen? We are going to be people of honor. We are going to be people of humility. And we are going to be the most radical, generous people on the planet. Amen? That's, that, they're going to know us for that. All right? And the last thing is a compass. You need direction. Everybody needs direction for your life. You need direction for this season right now that you're in. You need direction for the next season. You need to know even when you're transitioning from one season to the next. You need to know when it's not even going to a new season, but you're going through a metamorphosis and you're fighting against it because you feel like you're getting stretched. And God says, I'm not taking you through a new season. I'm stretching the mess out of you right now in this current season. And the more we understand the core and we operate inside of these values, it gives me a compass even inside of the current season that I'm in. Does that make sense? And then it just helps define as we move forward. You guys good? All right. Good so far? We clear? Yeah? All right, so let's uh, pop Matthew 25, 22. We're staying just in the Gospels today. Is that good? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Yep. So if you got a little girl, you know, and as she grows up, some little boy wants to come and date her, you just always ask, you know her four brothers? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? And if the little boy just looks like a deer in headlights, you say, you're at the wrong house, son. You're at the wrong house. Yeah. Yeah, any, any young man that comes to my house, I'm going to let him know my, my history. All of it. Yeah, the mug shot, the whole nine yards. I let him see it. <laughs> and if there's anything in there that's not in line with God, it'll, it'll scare it out of him at that moment. See, my wife just walked back in at that moment. That was perfect timing. 
All right, Matthew 22. Wow, I got 34 through 40. That's not right, but um, we'll see what you guys got up there. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. I'm not going to teach from this principle. I actually want to teach you today um, just from two stories in the Gospels and on a different principle. But I think that this is a foundation when you're talking about love because the main attributes when it comes to love, the things that you have to get right is this right here. You have to understand that God always desires that you reach after him. God put his love into you. It says you didn't love him first. He loved you first. And then when you're born again, he pours his love into you. That's Romans 5, 5. So he pours his love into you. And he says, there's an expectation that you reach after me. Like there's this jankety theology, you know what I'm saying? That we need trials and temptations for us to draw near to God. So I got two kids. If my kids only come around when they want something, that's just, that, that don't do it for me. You see what I'm saying? So that's just, that's just, that doesn't feel right. God just wants you to reach after him. God wants you to be crazy in love with him. Like God, God don't want you to be normal. Real talk, when it comes to love, God don't want you to be normal. Paul said, I'm beside myself with the Lord. That means I don't act normal when it comes to God. That means I can't be like, you know, just all silent and, you know what I mean? You know, there, there's, no, there's no introverts and there's no extroverts in the kingdom. God didn't give you that personality. I know I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm messing with Neo because me and Neo always bump heads and play around a lot. We used to work out together. No, when you're born again, when you're born again, you are brand new and you possess something from the fall. An emotional makeup that's wired a certain way, God did not give you that. Does that make sense? That's why scripture says that we are not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind. That is every part of your faculty, conscience and unconscious, God says, has to be renewed or otherwise you will be led in a direction that's not the real you. The real you is made like God and Jesus was not just sitting back. He was going after the Father and going after people. Does that make sense? We got to make sure we get it in line now. Is that good? So this scripture says everything hangs on this. I love God. I got to love myself. How do you think about you? Scripture shows me how God thinks about you, but how are you thinking about you? That's a great question. So this is something, guys, listen to me. You, you, this is going to take time for us to go over this and it's not like we haven't covered stuff like this before but this is core are you with me so we'll constantly um visit this because this is key he says everything hangs on this you reach toward god how you see you do you know god sees you a certain way and it doesn't matter if you don't see yourself correctly it don't matter we can still walk around walking on eggshells in every area of life or some areas of life, because all of us, including myself, in some capacity are walking on eggshells and God wants us to walk on solid ground. He says, I have no greater joy, 3 John 4, than to hear my children walk in truth. That means that solid men and women of God, when they walk the earth, there's a sound, a thunder that's released because they know who they are. And there's a difference than walking on eggshells because I don't know who I am. And it's a progress. I mean, it's, it's a process. But there should be progress. Amen? And this is a core, a foundation. He says everything hangs on this. And the other thing is, is, is how you're going to reach for other people. 
Because you're really not going to reach after people if you're not reaching toward him and you're not seeing you right. You're not going to reach for people. You're going to try once in a while. You're going to cast a little net. And we'll watch this. Uh, that sounds a little hard. <laughs> I don't want to say it that way. <laughs> God wants us reaching for the leper. The leper under the Old Testament, if it touched you, you were unclean. Leprosy in Scripture represents sin. We as Christians, man, we, we, like, we, we, we want to get away from the sin. And Jesus says, under the new covenant, what you bring to the table is you purify the leper. I touch the leper. When the leper came to Jesus in Mark 1 and he says, you know, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus didn't have to touch that man. He touched him to demonstrate under the new covenant now. What you touch becomes clean. What you reach for becomes clean. So if there's a hose connected to a faucet and you got the faucet turned on full blast, you take that hose and you stick it through the nastiest, stinking, yucky water juice you can imagine that you would not even put your toe in with shoes and you dip that hose down inside of it, none of that stuff will get inside of that hose as long as that water's running. None of it. And that's how connected and reaching we should be inside of this world. There should be something flowing from my life where nothing moves me, nothing scares me, and I'm going after that person. And then what's coming from me is actually going to drive out that which is murky. Does that make sense? And we can't run from, we got to run too. Everything hangs on this. Those are the three main things. Reach toward him. You have to... How do you think about you, and how am I reaching toward? And that should be every day. Tim, if you got to live in front of your computer, it should be every day. Nate, same, same thing. Pastor Nate sits in front of a computer all day. No matter your job, we should be reaching. Even if it's through prayer, there should be some component of my life where I'm reaching toward that which is leprous. And if I'm reaching toward him and I'm seeing myself, then I'm always going to be asking, how can I touch that which is unclean? How can we bring the kingdom of God? Is that good? Keep my glasses off. That way I can't see the time up there. Just a joke. I'm like, man, this guy's crazy. All right, let's go to, uh, we're going to stay in the Gospels. Let's go to Luke Duke. Luke Duke. Luke chapter 9. So there's different types of love in Scripture. There's actually four different words that's used. There's, in the Greek language, which in the New Testament we're, we're talking about, there's a lot of coupling of words, like power and authority and energy and all those things. And they usually run in fours and love's the same thing. Um, and agape is the, is, the, is the word that God uses that defines himself. I don't like saying it like that, but it's, it's a way that God defines himself because God's more than just love, but God is love. But when God speaks about he is love and it's using the word agape, it's using a love that is not based on feelings. Now, God still has feelings. Does that make sense? God actually has emotions, all right? God gets joyful over you. God cries. Scripture shows you that Jesus wept in two places in Scripture. All right, so God has emotions. But this love, all right, is a love that's operated by choice. It's what moves me. Jesus was moved with compassion or he was moved in a direction based on this is who I am. Does that make sense? So this is who you are right now, present tense, inside of that physical body. That's who you are. That's why it's so important that we get the mother three right. Okay? So we're just, that's, that's going to be the focus. And one of the stories actually has a couple different words and love in it. So Luke 9, 23, Jesus said, he said to them all, talking to his boys and talking to the group, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. I'm going to read it again. If anyone desires to come after me. The word desire there is the same word that God uses for his will. Like God's will is for all to be saved. Does everybody get saved? 
Thank you. Anybody else? It says God desires all, and the word there is the Greek word, which means it's his will. It's not his will that none should perish, that all should come to repentance, but does everybody get saved? They don't, because he wrote us into the factor, the equation. He wrote us into the equation. This is the same word. What is your will? You have a choice. Do you see what I'm saying? It's defining love. If anyone chooses to love me, your will's involved here. Matter of fact, you could say it this way. Let's say a scale of 1 to 10. How much do you want to love God? Because watch this. He actually shows you in this how you can choose a 10. He says, if anyone desires to come after me, he says, let him deny himself and follow me. This is what we need. <clears throat> God's called everybody to be a leader. Everybody. No matter who you are in the kingdom of God, you're called to be a leader and impact the world. But in order to be an effective leader, you have to learn to follow. In the culture that we live in right now, everyone wants to jump out front and not learn to be a correct follower before we jump into leadership. There's nowhere in the biblical narrative, nowhere from Genesis to Revelation, including Jesus himself, who didn't spend so much time following before he led. Abraham, Moses, David, all of them, Jesus, everybody, Paul, everybody learned to follow so they could lead effectively. And he actually defines what it means to follow here. So if I desire, and my desire, my will, and what I say, Lord, I'm going to love you, and my love's going to be a 10. And that means I'm going to follow you. What does that look like? The word follow in the Greek is a compound word, and it means to be connected or union, union, and it means to be on the same road as he's on. That's a great question to me. It's not like a statement to me. It's like, am I on the right road? <laughs> on the right road? <laughs> I said that like 100,000 times when I moved to Tampa. I'm like, am I on the right road? <laughs> I don't know about y'all. I was happy where I was at. I started a ministry school. It was flourishing. God says, right when it started flourishing, leave Alabama and go to Florida. Why? We good. It's kind of been my pattern. Every time something gets up, gets going good, God's like, all right, dip. It's not going to be here, though. <laughs> that's why I gave me you Paula <laughs> she's like wherever you want to go let's go I think it's a big picture word guys it's a big picture word it does deal with <clears throat> let's say it this way your destination okay your, your, your sweet spot I'm sure you guys have heard that before when it comes to like your gifts and all that your sweet spot but it also deals with your current season. You can't just prophesy about somebody's future. You got to bring them back right now into right now where they're at right now. So like, Lord, if I'm following you, am I, am I, am I flowing with you? Am I connected and on the right road in this current season? Cause like we can do a lot of things, guys, you know what? And not be nowhere near on the same road as him. God's like, I'm going that way. You, you, you gone, bro. You, you, you done left the building and you down the street and, and we're doing Christian stuff, calisthenics. Yeah, y'all know what I'm talking about. I go to prayer, pay my tithes, you know what I'm saying? And God's like, you still, you're on the wrong road. <laughs> you ever feel that way in life? Hey, man, I got to get off this alley I'm on, man. <laughs> like, can I get back on the main road? There's potholes and everything in this road. Hey, we were in Africa. This is no joke. <laughs> I'm telling my father, Alan's not here today. We went to go see the. Uh, we went to go see somebody. We went down one road. We're in a big SUV. We went down one road. It must have been like two hours. Oh my goodness! Max and Karen's here. Y'all remember that? I was like, I am dreading the ride back. <laughs> the whole time, <laughs> and the driver's going like ninety miles an hour. He's like skipping over the potholes until you hit a hard one. I'm like, he's killing me, man. 
Americans, they're so soft. That's probably what he was thinking. <laughs> These Americans, they soft. Oh, my goodness. You ever felt like that, though, like seriously in life? You're like, man, it don't mean that it's supposed to be smooth. So let's just go ahead and throw that out. Everything's not supposed to be smooth. Really, to be honest, if everything's smooth, there's probably a problem. Real talk. Yeah. But I want to make sure that I know that I'm connected and I'm on the right road. This, become, this becomes a beginning process where I pour out my love to him. My choice. This is my heart, Lord. No matter what, I'll follow you. I'm not saying to everybody. I'm saying for me, and I've been walking with the Lord since 98. I think, I think God grooms us for certain roads because we won't say yes. And he prepares us for the destination, whatever that looks like. And he's so in it for us to win. Does this make sense? I mean, I've, I've met people that's just like, God wants me to go to a third world country and just live there. And, just, and they're not used to that. And they just go. And there's a grace for that. There is. You know, but anytime I've traveled to India or when I've been to Africa and stuff like that, I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm usually ready to come home. But there's, there's just places that God wants to take us. And it doesn't mean it's a, the mission field, but it just means there's places that God wants to take us or he wants us to follow. And it's so important in the present season that I understand, am I on the right road? And how connected am I? Does that make sense, guys? So let's talk about two stories. We'll wrap it up, all right? We'll talk about what doesn't, what's not right and <clears throat> what's right. So most of you guys heard of the rich young ruler, right? Yeah, amen? Y'all do, y'all read y'all's Bible, right? Once in a while? Okay. So Mark 10, verses 17 through 22, it says, Now as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him and asked, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. He answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him. This is a very interesting phrase right here. <clears throat> then Jesus, looking at him, loved him. I would, I would challenge you to go study that out in the original language. <clears throat> How Jesus looked at this man. It doesn't mean based on him, committing, uh, him doing the law. It's an opinion. Jesus knew that Judas would betray him. When Jesus took a long look at him, I think Jesus saw the replacement for Judas. This is the only place in Scripture, the only place in Scripture where Jesus tells someone to sell everything they have, even though the church has made that a practice. It's the only place. Because he was going to challenge his heart to come on a road, and he wanted to remove an idol and give him a place that was unprecedented. It's an opinion. He answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things I've kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, One thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have, give to the poor, and you have treasure in heaven. Come, take up your cross, and follow me. Man. He was sad at this word, went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Because see, on this road, this is something that's going to apply to every one of us. Every single person in this room, all of us have great possessions. Every person in this room, you're richer than 70% of everybody in the world. Where you're at currently right now, with your bank account, where you're at right now, even if you're in debt. There's possessions that we have physically. There's possessions that we have that are tangible, intangible. There's things that we have that the Lord will challenge the mess out of us. Not that God has a problem with any of those things. He says he freely gives you things to enjoy. Amen? That's good news, right? 
But there is a journey where God will take you down roads, where God will challenge our hearts so that we can possess him, the most important prize. We can possess him. We can become who we are. Well, you know, when God speaks to us and asks us to do things, it's unorthodox. Imagine if God just asked me to start jumping up and down. I did that Friday night. I was just jumping up and down, acting like a nut. And some people in the church here was like, I have never seen you do that. That was just, I'm like, why are y'all spectating me? Y'all be worshiping, man. They watching me. And Pastor Howard lost his mind. Scripture tells us to do stuff like that, to shout and stuff like that. And you're like, that's not me. And actually, to be honest, you don't know you. And the reason God actually asks you to do certain things, that obedience, that he says obedience, it actually reveals who you are to you. Uh, you really don't know who you are. So God actually gives us these things in the word. And he says, hey, do this. You're like, oh, that ain't me. And God says, hey, it really is. You just don't know who you are. I know who you are. Does that make sense? So there'll be things that God asks us to do just like this guy here. He saw something in him and he knew him. And he wouldn't let go. Let's bring that in practically for a minute. Hey, right now in this current season that you're in, there's going to be some things where God's going to be like, hey, listen, I just come here. Come on, come here. Come close. This is the number one thing. For every ministry, every person in this room, you have a priestly ministry. God calls you kings and priests. The number one job for a priest is to draw near unto God. That is your number one thing that you do. You draw near. And as you draw near, God's going to ask, separate. Does that make sense? And if you say no, he's going to be okay with you. Let's be really clear with God. He's not the problem and he's not upset even if you say no. But my love can be gauged. My love is a choice. Love is a verb. Okay? It is an action word. Does this make sense, guys? Is this good? I want this to challenge the mess out of me. I want to actually see how I can grow closer, see myself, and reach toward even more so in this current season. How I can be connected with him on the road in this season that I'm in. Okay? You want me to give you three steps? I'm not. Just messing with you. This is your step. This is your step. Your step is ask him about this season. Ask him. Does that make sense? Make it more of a conversation than something where I'm just getting three steps. I'm not, I don't have a problem with three steps. All right? But we get, listen, man, we get so Christianized, man, with messages and stuff like that. You, you got you to begin a narrative. You got to begin a conversation with him. He's called the word. He likes to talk. Get a piece of paper out. Get a pencil out. Get your Bible out. You need your Bible out because otherwise you're going to be hearing all kind of flaky stuff. Get your Bible out. What can I say? Keep it real now. He calls his disciples. That means you're a learner. If I'm not learning, all right, then I'm going to be flaky. And God's not called you to be flaky. God's called you to be solid. Scripture says, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. I've heard so many preachers and people that wasn't preachers say it. God said, and I'm like, that's not even biblical. God didn't say that. So when you get your paper out and you get your pencil out, get your word out. Give God time. Yeah. Cancel your Netflix. <laughs> Do you hear that, baby? Cancel Netflix. All right. Is that a dust day of the Lord? This football season, too. I was going to get, what was I going to get? The YouTube, uh, yeah, so I can watch football. It's okay. Yeah, I can just talk to you and everybody here. It's all good. She's like, quit doing that. <laughs> She's like, going, quit doing that. You got to recognize the season that God has you in. For real. God did have me stop watching TV for two years. 
and he didn't tell me it was going to be two years. I'm just using that as an example, all right? We don't fast to get God to move. God don't move because I fast. God don't move, all right, because I jump through hoops or nothing like that. God moves because he loves you. That's why he moves, because he loves you. But he wants me to draw near. He wants me to love him back. Is that good? So obviously the rich young ruler missed it bad, right? He missed it bad. Is that kind of like a glaring, that's not going to be us? Amen? All right, let's wrap it up. I'm over. Let's wrap it up with Peter. John 21. All right, we was in Matthew, we was in Mark, we was in Luke, Duke. Now we're going to be in John. John 21. This is after the resurrection. <clears throat> so this is kind of a... I, I got to hurry up. This is kind of funny to me because, like, Jesus is resurrected and he's got a resurrected body and he's eating food. Isn't that good news? No, think about that. I, I'm wondering, like, because, like, you can't kill in heaven. So these are fish. <clears throat> they feeding and they eating and stuff. I wonder, like, what's going to be in heaven? What kind of food's going to be in heaven? Y'all think about stuff like that? Y'all ever seen Chronicles of Narnia? You ever seen that movie? I've asked the Lord to give me a line like that that talks so I can ride around on the heaven. Y'all think I'm joking. He says, whatever you ask in my name, I'll give it to you. So I've all kind of asked him. I was like, can you give me one of them lines that talk and I can ride around him in heaven? That'd be like really cool. Like he jumps like he does. God so wants us to have a relationship that is playful, loving, serious, all the different components. Right? Yeah. Verse 15. So when they had eaten bread, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? <clears throat> so I really feel the Lord sitting on this verse right here. He's asking us, do you love me more than these? So Peter responds to Jesus, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. <clears throat> he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. <clears throat> Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke signifying by what death, talking about Peter, he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. This is when it's important to read into the original language. <clears throat> because when Jesus says, do you love me? Jesus says, do you agape me? Peter don't respond. The, the English word is love. G Peter doesn't respond that way all three times. Jesus says, do you agape me? Peter says, no, I phileo you. So let me, let me translate that for you. Jesus says, are you willing to die for me and do whatever I ask? And Peter says, no, we're friends. We're friends. That's the translation. No, we're friends. You have to ask yourself, is that the narrative in my life? God says, I loved you. I died for you. Will you reach? And that's what he's asking him. You'll have to reach toward me. You'll have to understand who you are. And I'm asking you to reach toward those who's going to need you. Do you love me? And Peter says, I'm your friend. Now, listen, I'm, I'm going to give Peter a, a, little bit of a, um, a little bit of help here. He was not born again. He was not filled with the Holy Spirit like us. Do you see what I'm saying? But the Lord was creating in his heart a massive gap so he would understand the call and the stretch that God would pull him into. Because history says that Peter was crucified upside down. Because he himself said he was not worthy to be crucified like Jesus. And asked to be crucified upside down. And Jesus says you're going to be stretched. But Jesus asked him three times. And we have to ask ourselves, am I just being his friend? Am I telling him I'm your friend? There's nothing wrong with that. But this love here is different. This core here is completely different. This deals with, I will lay down everything for you. Because this is what he did for us. Does this make sense? 
The difference between the rich young ruler and Peter is that Peter actually did it. Though Peter responds with, I phileo you three times, Peter actually did it. Peter was born again. Jesus breathed on him. He received the Holy Spirit. All right. <clears throat> actually, that was in John 20. And then the Holy Spirit's poured out. And when the Holy Spirit's poured out on him, he begins his journey. You guys good? I don't want this to be heavy. I don't want it to be heavy. Okay? I do feel like God wants there to be an urgency. I feel like there's an urgency in the heart of God with the things that we've mentioned today. Reaching toward Him. Beginning to see yourself. And reaching toward others. And I think it starts today. All of us have done this. All of us have read the Bible, come to church, took notes, stuck it in the Bible, and we actually forget what's been spoken, every one of us, including myself, right? Amen? Okay, everybody else can repent. Appreciate it, Haley. Oh, y'all can repent. Every one of us. God doesn't want us to be heavy, but there's an urgency in the heart of God. The way something sticks and the way something begins to take root is when I do what it said in Matthew 7. The one who hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken that man to someone who builds his house on the rock. How do you feel your house is? Is your house on sand or is your house, that's you as an individual, you as a person, or do you feel like your house is on a rock? It can start today. It's an action so what is the action for you? Begin the narrative with God. What is the road that's in front of me this season right here? What would you ask from me, Lord? How can I be so connected with you that I'm on the road with you? How can I reach for you? What are some things that I'm thinking about myself that you don't think about me that needs to be removed, repented of? And who are some people that I can be reaching for right now? Right now. Family members, friends, co-workers, my neighbors. You know what? You don't have to know your neighbors. All right? I knew our neighbors on the left. They moved out. And I know a few of our neighbors. But you can walk around your neighborhood and pray in tongues and pray in the spirit and just speak the word of God over your you, you see what I'm saying? You can begin to reach. The word Goshen that I heard when I got on my knees today was a place in the Old Testament when the plagues come against Israel and none of the plagues touched them. Your neighborhood could be that way. Do you believe that? Like, is that hard for God? Like, God, it's got to be hard. Do y'all see what I'm saying? You guys good? Come on, let's stand.